So there I was, elementary school, Carlson Elementary, and my favorite part about grade school was not lunch, it was P.E. You're like, weirdo. No, P.E. was awesome for one reason. You know what that reason was? Dodgeball! Anybody love dodgeball? Now, I understand there's not that collective roar like they should be because we have an entire generation of children that know not of dodgeball. They get this soft, squishy, politically correct ball. Whatever happened to that eight-year-old crusty rubber ball that was left in the gym closet for like a decade? You know what I'm talking about? When you got that ball and you just released it, you know, you wound up and you hit the fat kid right in the head and that beautiful sound of sounds echoes through the gym. Ping! Dodgeball, I love dodgeball. I waited in class. What time is PE? And so I would always go. So every day it was like this. The, the, the gym teacher would call us in. We'd get ready. And he would split the class alphabetically right down the middle. A through N gets to play dodgeball. And uh, the rest of you, the rest of the alphabet, if your last name's on the rest of the alphabet, you're going to go to Jazzercise. Now, if you don't know what Jazzercise is, it's like someone mixed Jazz and exercise. Now, I don't like jazz and I don't like exercise. And so if you put them together, no thank you. You know, it was probably because at that time, I was a little pudgy. I am white. I cannot dance. And the last thing that I want to do is dance in front of girls. And so what did I do? I played dodgeball every single day, irregardless of where my last name was called. Every day I snuck into dodgeball. So I get about three weeks of just killing it at dodgeball. And then the coach, I remember specifically, because you had that clipboard and the whistle, which I don't really get. Why does he need a clipboard? There's like, you know, 60 kids. Anyways, so he brings us all in and, and he tells everybody where to go. And so I do my little sneak off into dodgeball and he goes, Volkmer, you were called for jazzercise. Come to the front. And I remember his face as clear as I'm right here, right now. I can see his face. You will go to jazzercise for the rest of the year. So I went. The man had a cassette player. I was placed in the front of the line as a living embodiment of disobedience to the rest of the children. I was the example, the scapegoat. I had to sit in the front and lead the dance. The man had one cassette. He had one cassette on loop. This was during a horrible period of music called the 80s. And this was the song he played. Now that's enough before you get, it was ace of bass, I saw the sign. I hate 
hate that song. To this day, I'm in my mid-30s. I still hear that song. I get a little shaky. I get a little nervous. Because what was crazy is I never forgot that season, that time, is because every day my anger grew. Every day I got madder and madder and madder. I was sitting there in jazzercise. Nothing but hatred and anger is filling my heart. Nothing but bitter and resentment. I can't even remember the joys of dodgeball. Bitterness is the seed of hell. Bitterness is the seed of hell. Open up your Bibles. We're going to be reading the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be looking at Jesus, the Son of God's words, on hell. Chapter 16. We're going to be looking at hell. So if it's your first time, I'm so, so sorry. Come to me. I'd love to get you a taco and a cup of coffee and a box of Kleenexes. But I'm going to talk to you about hell this morning primarily because Jesus talked about hell. I'm his disciple. I'm following him. My words have to be his words. And so we can't just take scissors to the word of God and cut out what we don't like. So let us look at the words of Jesus regarding hell. Now, People will make the mistake that what we're about to read, they'll think of it as a parable. Jesus told many parables. He told the parable of the sower. He told the parable of the unjust steward, the mustard seed. He told many parables. What we're reading right now is not a parable. Turn to your neighbor and say, not a parable. Not a parable. It starts off like this. There was... In case you were wondering, this is a real event. Jesus is speaking of a real situation that happened. He is recalling an actual event. There was a certain rich man, verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. That means he ate well and was well dressed. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. Desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23, so important. And being in torments. And being in torments. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, you remember, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all of this, there is a great goal fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, so important, underline this. Therefore, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. 
For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. If I want you to understand one thing about that story, is that if hell could get one message to us, if hell could tell us one thing, it would be a warning. Hell's message to us is only warning. Warn my brothers that they do not come to this terrible place of torment. You have to understand, warning is part of a pastor's role. Paul tells us in Colossians, Christ we preach, teaching every man and warning every man. We are in the situation we are in right now as a nation because the pulpits of America have failed to warn. They felt failed to warn. They've offered salvation and they never talk about damnation. They offer hell every Sunday. They never mention, excuse me, they offer heaven. Some of you, you might, you'll feel like you're offering hell right now. <laughs> well, I thought this was San Antonio. I thought you guys liked the peppers. <laughs> you know, I thought you liked it spicy. I guess not, you know, no. You want spicy? Yeah. You, uh, okay, how spicy? Yeah. Habanero or ghost chili? Or how about some Holy Ghost chili? All right, here we go. The problem is that pastors have failed to warn. They failed to warn. The great minister Charles Grandison Finney said this, in order to secure someone's salvation, you must convince them of their damnation. That basically means this. In order for someone to really understand the good news, of the gospel, they have to understand that the bad news, that they're in trouble with God. And so it's a, it's a really simple thing that people turn left and right away from because the truth is disagreeable. But as C.S. Lewis says, if you're going to get someone to understand the gospel, you have to tell them very much, you have to tell them a great deal of disagreeable truth. So I am willing to tell you disagreeable truth if by chance you might understand the majesty and goodness of the gospel. I'm not going to take scissors to the word of God and skip over difficult passages. It's my responsibility to teach you the whole counsel of God. Because most importantly, Jesus did. Jesus talked about hell more than anyone in the entire Bible. More than any of the prophets, you could take all the prophets and add them together, and yet Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about money. Any subject besides his father, Jesus spoke about hell. And he warns us time and time again. He describes it with the most shocking words in all of the Bible. 
He calls it a place of outer darkness. He calls it a place where the worm does not die. He calls it a place of separation, a place of gnashing of teeth, a place of everlasting punishment, a place of torment. These are not my words. These are the words of the Son of God. And God the Father only trusted Jesus with such a message. Because Jesus was willing to pay the price. Jesus was willing. And the Father trusted him to reveal to us and to the world the great reality of eternity. I want you to understand four things. Four things. Four undeniable facts from the Son of God. Four great truths about hell. Number one, it is a place of torment. Number two, it lasts forever. Number three, there is no escape. And most importantly of all, number four, you don't have to go there. It is a place of torment. It lasts forever. There is no escape. You don't have to go there. A place of torment. In the story, it says that they are tormented. Jesus describes it as horrible. He describes hell as a place where the worm does not die. And people always use that imagery of uh, 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 garbage dump where the fires are burning and the maggots are growing. But I want us to look at the worm does not die in a different way. Because yes, hell is a place of torment. But I believe the majority of the torment will be self-inflicted. Hear me now, at the end of time, at the great judgment of everyone who's ever lived, the Bible says that the books are opened. And everything that has ever been done is written in God's book. The prophet Malachi says that God has a book of remembrance. Everything you've ever done, every motive, every thought, every inclination of your heart, everything that you think you got away with, everything that you, you've forgotten about, every sin, every deed, everything that has been done by every person and is written in God's book, and he has an eternal record, a flawless record. Uh, you've seen in the news recently, everyone's talking about uh, emails and, and laptops and all of those things, and they're trying to delete this record and that record. There's one record that can never be deleted. God's eternal record. He has a book of remembrance in which every person who has ever loved will, lived will be judged according to the things written in the books. And in Malachi, it says that God has a book of remembrance, and at that moment, at the great judgment seat, you will have a perfect memory. You'll be able to see from your childhood, you'll be able to see a God who always wanted the best for you. So why do they say, why is it a worm that never dies? You have to remember in a shepherd culture, the most dangerous things to the flock of God were shepherds and pred was predators, other people stealing the sheep, and flies. It is reliably recorded that flies would lay eggs around the flock, the head and the nose of the sheep. 
And those would, eggs would hatch into worms and they would crawl into the nose and the brain of the sheep. And the sheep were in such torment that they would literally bang their heads upon rocks or jump off cliffs to alleviate the pain. A place where the worm does not die is a place of tor- torment, mental anguish and, and torment. And the reason there's a place of torment is because at that moment, the books will be opened and you'll see them. You'll see a God who always wanted the best for you. You'll see a God who had a dream for your life and a plan for your life and a purpose for your life and you'll see his faithfulness and you'll see his providence. You'll see time and time again how he reached out to you, how he cared for you, how he provided for you, how you never lacked for nothing. You'll see all of your friends that have come into your life to try to tell you the gospel. You'll hear every message you've ever heard with perfect memory. You'll see it every time you turn the radio off, every time you turn the television off. I don't want to hear that preacher. I don't want to hear that. You'll see it with a perfect memory and you'll see God's faithfulness and his provision and his great love and mercy and you'll see it with perfect clarity and you'll see how you rejected him time and time and time again the counsel of the Bible is so clear it's so clear and they would not come over and over again the God through the prophets begs the people to come, but they would not come. The last thing the Holy Spirit says to mankind, whomsoever will, let him come. The Spirit and the bride say come. It's not that man could not, it's that he would not. And at that day at the great white throne, when everything's naked and open against to whom we have to give an account, There'll be no mouth then. There'll be no shutting their mouth out at God. I've seen so many people and they talk such big talk and they say such things against God. But at that, that, at that time, the Bible is so clear at the mouth is stopped at the judgment because they'll see. They'll see the goodness of God. They'll see his faithfulness to them. And they'll see their rebellion for what it is. It is a place where the worm does not die. And they say, Kyle, why does it last forever? Why can't it just be temporary? Why can't we just pay our crime and be done? Because sinners will wax worse and worse. There was a man who stole railroad spikes from the railroad. The great preacher D.L. Moody tells this story. He stole railroad spikes. He was in prison. He was caught for what he was stealing. It wasn't a matter of time before he, through his own craftiness, got out of prison. And he went back to the same railroad. And through sleight of hand and shadiness, he stole the whole railroad. He got the title deed. So he went from railroad spikes to stealing the whole railroad because punishment cannot rehabilitate. It takes moral transformation of character. It takes the gospel of Jesus Christ to turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. He that is in Christ is a new creation. This is what we call salvation, the only answer to man's moral dilemma. Why is hell forever? Because men will grow worse and worse and worse in their rebellion and their hatred towards a good God. And this is the reality. Fix it in your mind right now. 
It's not good men and a bad God. It's bad men and a good God. You must have this filter in your mind. God is innocent. Man is guilty. And so when they say, well, why is it forever? Why why is it torment? God is innocent. Man is guilty. They say, well, why is there no escape? Jesus tells us this. He says that these will go into everlasting punishment, but, but the righteous into eternal life. As, as eternal as heaven is, so is hell. We have this absolute confidence that heaven is forever. That we'll be with the Lord 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We have this confidence that we'll get to be with him forever. The joys of heaven. But the horror of hell is it's forever. And ever. And ever. And ever. There is no escape. There is no exits. There is no second chance. It is appointed unto man once to die. And this and then the judgment. But most important of all, you don't have to go there. No one has to go there. Peter tells us, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some count slackness, but is long suffering. That means he's patient towards us. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants all people to be saved. He wants all people to come to repentance. The Lord loves the world. You have to understand, hell exists because sin exists. If there was no sin, there'd be no hell. In the the heart of, of God from heaven, hell wasn't even made for man. The Bible says that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But when mankind lives and walks and talks and acts like a devil, then he shall suffer the penalty of of the same. I know it's a sober thought, but I'm okay with it being a sober thought. I'm okay with it being serious. This is the most serious subject that you could talk about. I remember exactly where I was. It was 2003. I remember exactly where I was. I was staring there watching a great multitude of people I did not have the courage to talk to them or preach to them or say anything about Jesus. I was ensnared with the fear of man. I thought too much of what people thought of me. And God, with my waking eyes, showed me some dual-lane superhighway with thousands upon thousands of cars racing to the end. For you see, the bridge was out and the cars were going off into their doom. And I heard one word from heaven. I heard one room, I heard one word from the throne room of God. 
And I've heard it ever since. I've heard the Spirit say it to me a thousand times. It's almost like it's haunting me. Many, many, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go that way. I do not understand a silent church. I do not understand silent Christians. I do not understand people who are not committed to alleviate God's pain over a lost world. Many. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. God has destined no one to go to hell. The Bible is categorically clear. Ezekiel the prophet says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It brings God no pleasure when the lost go into oblivion. It brings him no satisfaction. The attitude of heaven towards the lost world is brokenness. The last word that God will say to mankind when they go out into the dark is very simple. I never wanted this for you. But the words of Jesus are very clear. And I speak on his behalf. There will be a day of great separation. There will be a day of great separation. He will separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, the righteous from the wicked, the godly from the religious, the good fish from the bad. To the righteous, he will say, enter into the joy of the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. But to the wicked, he will say, depart from me, you who work iniquity, you who practice lawlessness, for I never knew you. If I could have everyone in this room close their eyes. We're going to spend this time allowing the Holy Spirit of God to once again bring to our hearts and minds anything that it brings offense. If there's any people that know that they're on the, the broad road, the road that leads to destruction. If people are walking in the flesh, doing the works of the flesh, works of adultery and fornication, works of lying and slander, works of disrespecting the parents and authorities, 
sexual sins of homosexuality and fornication and pornography, slanders and lies, all of the enemy's lies. Holy Spirit of God, begin to speak and bring to light and to heart everything that is offensive to you.